you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer with big design small budget here's your host betsy helmuth hi everyone before i launch into a whole bunch of wonderful questions that have come in for 2019 i want to just say thank you So many of you have written me personal emails about the announcement I made two weeks ago about about my son and his heart defect and the fact that we had to terminate the pregnancy. So many of you wrote me with personal stories or just with notes of encouragement. Heck, my amazing podcast producer even sent me a self-care package. So I have been feeling so supported. I have really been savoring your messages and using them as I heal both emotionally and physically. And even when you've been writing in questions, you've been leaving a small note, which has been so powerful. I'm not going to read those notes, nor am I going to read the little messages that are embedded in the question emails only because I don't want to cry through each and every podcast. So I'm going to edit those out and just save them for myself. But I do want you to know how appreciated they were and how much strength and support they have given me over the past few days. So thank you, and I hope that your 2019 is um, is filled with awesome things to come. I can tell that it will be, and I can tell that it will be filled with great design. To segue to lighter things, now is the best time to shop for uh, home design items, whether it be furniture or furnishings. Uh, the best deals are available right now. January is the biggest month for home sales besides July, and I would argue that January is even bigger than July, and of course, you want to get in at the beginning of the month rather than waiting till the end when everything is on clearance and has been relatively picked over. So now is the time to go shopping, and um, and now is the time to dig into the mailbag. All right, the first question came in from Facebook, and it is from Caitlin who writes, Betsy, what do you think of decorative rugs on top of carpeted floors? 
I think that that can make such a cool statement, Caitlin. I think that it looks very designerly. I love mixing textures. The key with that, as well as so many things in interior design, is contrast. So you want, if you squint, for the two rugs to look very different. Uh, And my number one tip with this is that the rug that's on the bottom, whether it's wall-to-wall carpeting or just a different area rug, needs to be very low pile. It needs to have a pile of 0.25 inches or less, and you can usually find the pile heights of rugs and carpets in their product description on the website, and they usually refer to it as 0.25 inches or less. That's a low pile rug. If you have a high pile rug and you put another rug on top of that, the problem becomes that the other rug will not sit flat. It will bubble up. It will move around a lot. You'll have a hard time keeping the edges down. It could certainly become a tripping hazard. And rather than just being a very chic thing to do, it can legitimately become a liability. (laughs) So make sure that that rug underneath is low pile and you are good to go in my mind. Now let's go to emails that have come in over the weeks. The first comes from a premium member, so she got bumped right to the top. And just a little tangent, if you want to get bumped right to the top, let me know that you're a premium member when you send in your question. You can put that in the subject line. And you can become a premium member by going to bigdesignsmallbudget.com. You'll see there all the information to become a premium member, which gives you full access to our entire archive of bonus episodes, over 45 bonus episodes and counting. A new one drops each month, so you won't want to miss it because those bonus episodes are laced with personal anecdotes, things I can't share on a wider platform, details of design projects that I'm working on, and just lots of fun nuggets that depart from the content that's typically on my main podcast. So check it out. It's $5.99 a month. Or if you subscribe for six months or a year, that cost goes down. And of course, then you get first priority in the old mailbag like Andrea. Okay, Andrea, let's hear your question. You write, Betsy, I love listening to your show and I've read your book and I use it for reference regularly. Thank you so much for all the great content and I really appreciate your tell it like it is style. I live in Dallas and I've recently moved to a 1920s craftsman style house and will be here for 10 plus years. I am planning to take your courses and I anxiously await your certification program. My style is transitional. I recently rearranged our bedroom, moving the bed from underneath the window after listening to your feng shui episode. I have three questions. The first question, our rug. Since we did that, I'm struggling with what to do about the rug. The rug is my inspiration piece, even though I know you don't love red in a bedroom. My 60-30-10 colors will eventually be blue, red, and black. It isn't big enough to put under the bed and seating area. I know you hate white drapes and rings, which I have both, but I find them easy to wash. 
I would like another rug so that when we get out of bed, our feet have something soft. What would you suggest? All right, first things first, the reason that I don't like red in a bedroom is because it's a color of intense passion. And certainly people associate red with love with upcoming Valentine's Day, but they also associate red with feelings of anger and passion and intensity. And typically in a bedroom, we want to calm down. Red increases our blood pressure. It's been known to incense violence. So I would rather you use calming tones like those blues, like muted, potentially pastels. That being said, this rug is a Persian, per your pictures, and the red is somewhat subdued. It's like a deep garnet, uh, much better than, say, a candy apple or tomato red. And I think as long as you don't make it your 60%, you're going to be just fine with using this as an inspiration piece. Now, you do know, it sounds like, that I like a rug under the bed perpendicularly so that it's at the foot of the bed making a T-shape. Uh, so that it sticks out on the sides and again at the bottom of the bed. So as you step out of bed, there's plushness all around the foot of the bed, as they call it. In your case, this rug is much too small to do that. So in your case, I think it would be really fun, and this is going back to the tip I shared earlier, to do something that highly contrasts with this low-profile Persian rug. I would do a small flocati rug, which is a very fuzzy, very plush rug that you can get in lots of different small sizes. Ikea has an amazing option for, I think, $25. It's like a two foot by three foot small flocati. Flocatis also come in a wide range of colors. So you could bring that white color back from your drapes in this very plush rug. Now, most of you know I would never do a white rug in a living space or, gosh forbid, a dining area. But in this case, most people have their shoes off in the bedroom. Most people aren't bringing in a lot of food or wine or spilling a lot of different types of things on a rug in the bedroom. So this is a safe space where I feel white can be a perfect choice. And I'm not going to necessarily hate your white drapes as long as they're highly washable and you don't get all the soot in your Dallas windows that we get in our New York City windows. And I do love rings. So I don't know where rings have gotten a bad rap in my podcast. The only reason I don't love rings on a drape is because it adds to the cost. It's something else to buy. And... um that's really the only drawback. I love a grommet panel because the rings are punched in the fabric, meaning that when you buy the drape, you get the rings for free. But it does have a more casual look. So if you're going for something slightly more sophisticated, well, I think rings are an awesome choice. So let me get to your next question. Your next question is about the armoire in your bedroom. I need the storage provided by this armoire, but I hate to have a mirror opposite my bed. Would you ditch this armoire? Would you put fabric in the doors? This piece is so big that it doesn't fit any other place in my home. This piece, this armoire, per your pictures, is like a big cherry elephant in the room. It's quite large. It's very imposing. It might just be the angles of your photographs, but it really has a presence. And the thing that bothers me about this very large piece of furniture in your room is that your room is lined with furniture. Right next to this armoire is a door, which definitely counts as a visual break and breaks up the wall that you can utilize for furniture. But then you have a bookcase. It appears you have a trunk. You have a hamper. 
paper. You have a guitar leaning against the wall. Pretty much all the wall real estate has something on it. And you know that I love some chi, a place for your eye to breathe, for it not to feel so cramped. You have lots of doors in this room, and yet very few of them can open without hitting something because there's so many pieces of furniture lining these walls. I would say to keep the large armoire in this room, and instead remove some of the smaller pieces of furniture that aren't doing a great deal of work. For instance, that open back bookcase, the guitar. These are things that could easily move to another room and make the room feel less visually cluttered so that you have these two large pieces, meaning the armoire and the bed, and everything else is more open, light, smaller pieces that aren't side by side by side lining your available walls. In terms of the mirror, The key is that, you know, according to feng shui, you wouldn't be able to see yourself when you wake up because, according to feng shui, they say that you'll scare yourself to death in the morning. You know, your hair is a mess, you're a little unkempt, and so that's the principle behind not having a mirror opposite your bed. This mirror appears to be on the side of your bed, so if you don't wake up facing that direction, I think it's perfectly fine to have a mirror adjacent to the bed as long as that's not the first thing you see when you wake up in the morning. Your last question is regarding the doors in your bedroom. You write, yes, my bedroom has a lot of doors. Believe it or not, the door on the farthest left in the armoire photo leads to the dining room. How bad is that? We only use the dining room as a dining room a few times a year. The rest of the time we use this as an at-home office. Would you replace this door with a pocket door or two doors or a farmhouse door? Which really isn't the style of a craftsman. All right, I would not replace the door with something else that looks like a door because essentially, you know, where's the value in that? This is not a door that you use often. This is contributing to the fact that your walls feel lined with things and visually cluttered. I would leave well enough alone. If I was going to throw any money at this problem, it might be to seal off this door, especially if there's another point of access for the dining room slash office. I think you could just lose this completely and then you'd have a much more substantial wall for the armoire, which would feel better all the way around. But replacing this door with one, especially a barn door or a farmhouse door, which is a big visual element and would make it much more conspicuous will just emphasize the fact that it's a little bit strange and that you have so many doors leading to so many different places in your bedroom. That's my two cents. I love how you went on to suggest that I have more affiliate links in my blogs and the things that I talk about um, on my website, which is affordableinteriordesign.com. Because yes, affiliate links are a great way to earn additional income. And Andrea, I would love your advice or any feedback you might have about how to better utilize affiliate links. We do use them in our business. So when we recommend items to our clients, we embed them with affiliate links and we do make some revenue from that. Not every company 
affiliates. And so many of the companies that we use on a regular basis do not give us that affiliate income. But it doesn't impact what we recommend or what stores we suggest our customers buy from. We think of it as just a little bonus income if somebody does buy something from those stores. But I'm sure there are more strategic ways to use affiliate links, and I'd love to hear them. So please send them right along, Andrea. And um, and thanks for writing in. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, Beautifying Your Home for Less, Styling Your Home, and The Fundamentals of Feng Shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips, things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. All right, let's get to my next note, which is from Casey. Casey writes, Hi, Betsy. I'm writing you because my husband and I are in the process of purchasing a house, and we found out during the home inspection that the tile floors were installed incorrectly and will need to be redone. The whole house feels dark, but especially the kitchen, which has dark brown cabinets and trim and a brown backsplash. Every single wall is beige, including the ceiling. I want to use the tile to lighten up the space and give it some personality. Maybe we should do herringbone, maybe a stamped tile design, but I'm afraid it will look horrible or too busy in the space. How can I achieve my goal without scaring future potential buyers? We want to live here about six years. Also, I want to paint the ceilings white and the walls agreeable gray but I don't know if I have the stamina to paint every single room in this five-bedroom house. Would it look horrible to keep the basement beige, but paint the upstairs gray and white? Help, Casey. Casey, you included a link to the real estate page, which is a great way to show me photos. Unfortunately, it is got some kind of lock on it, and I think you have to be a real estate agent or one of their clients to open it. So I wasn't able to see the pictures, but I definitely have a sense of your question and I have some thoughts. So the first one is that you should paint the ceiling white and that will really help the space feel lighter and brighter and less oppressively beige and brown. In terms of painting the walls agreeable gray, I'm open to that. You know, if the kitchen has a brown backsplash and you're not going to be changing the backsplash, I'm not sure that gray would be my favorite go-to. 
as you know, I don't regularly mix neutrals, meaning the beige and the grays, in large swaths. I might make it part of my 603010 accent colors, but in terms of having that neutral backdrop like wall paint is and competing with brown tiles, I'm not I'm not thinking I would naturally go towards that agreeable gray. Rather, I might lean towards a gray beige or grayish that would give you the warmth of a beige but give you the coolness to help things feel slightly toned down. You can look at something like abalone or pale oak, which is what I have in my home that has these really rich cherry stained floors, not at all my bag, and I wanted to cool it down while still embracing the warmth and not going with like a slate gray. In terms of the tile on the kitchen floor, it depends how tidy you are. When I cook, I am a little bit messy, so I'm very glad that my kitchen tiles are a little bit more forgiving and that they are an ivory that has some modeling to it. So it's not just a flat ivory or a flat white, which will show every single stain and color differentiation. You also want it to be something that's not polished, that's got more of a buff or matte hue because anything polished or glazed or supposedly shiny will show all of those stains and um, just any sorts of stuff that happens to fall on the floors. I would keep it light, but with just some kind of stippling. I do think that herringbone tile lay in a kitchen, I mean, I can't see your kitchen, so I I can't say this with 100% accuracy, but I think that that could be a controversial move when you're reselling. Especially, I don't like it when people do herringbone. If they have kitchen floors that are broken up by an island or kitchen floors that aren't a wide expanse because the beauty of herringbone is that you can stand back and see the pattern. But if the pattern is broken up heavily by cabinets or by that island or peninsula, then you lose that beautiful impact. Rather, I would think about replacing the backsplash with a small herringbone tile and doing something more basic on the floors. Maybe you do an alternating rectilinear tile. I don't typically do square tiles unless they're at a diagonal. Uh, I certainly wouldn't do a square tile that's under 12 inches by 12 inches in a kitchen. Uh, So I would go for something large format, alternating rectangular as my number one first choice and make sure it doesn't get too dark. All right, the next question is coming from Rochelle. Now, Rochelle heard my announcement on a previous podcast that I am thinking of launching a certification program. I um, never went to design school myself. I teach my designers, even though they have been to design school, most of them, I teach them a specific method that I expect them to work within because the tools that you learn in design school are not always directly applicable to designing on a retail scale, to designing with things that are readily available that aren't custom when you're not doing renovations. These are things that you learn in school that are much too much for what's actually needed, but also they don't cover things that are really needed when you're shopping at, say, Crate and Barrel or West Elm versus making something that can be any size you choose. So I find that going to Affordable Interior Design Academy has been very helpful for my designers and it is a crucial part of the learning process before they can work with us. It takes two weeks to a month and so I've been thinking that maybe in 2019 
I should further get behind my mission and make that certification program available to everyone, not just my designers. Rochelle heard the call and she answered back with some topics she wants to hear me talk about. So I'm going to address them right now and let you know if I will be sharing them during my certification or asking you if it's something you do want to learn about. All right. So Rochelle writes, Betsy, I discovered your podcast last month and I am smitten. I've ordered your book. I've been through two out of the three classes and I am working my way through your podcast archives. I'm enjoying myself thoroughly. Thank you for all the wonderful information and the energy you put out into the world. Listening to your podcast truly makes my life better. My home is working in a way that it never did. It's more functional, beautiful, and it brings my family together. In addition, your presence and personality brighten my day. I love the way you keep it real. Thank you. I was thrilled to hear you are working on a certification program. I'm very interested and would jump at the chance to take a course. I'm a mom of two kids, youngest of whom just went to kindergarten this year. I've got a degree in art history and studio art, and I've spent the first part of my career working in a contemporary art museum. I have lots of administrative skills, but no interior design skills. You mentioned in the podcast that you would like to hear what kind of things I would like to learn. So here goes. Before I launch into your topics, Rochelle, let me tell you that you and I have very similar backgrounds. I went to college with a degree in studio art and theater, and that was really where I got my foundation from art history and from those applied arts. But I found that those skills, again, are really not skills that are going to translate to interior design. It's wonderful to have that sense of color and color theory, so that's a great foundation. But my painting courses, my sculpting courses, while they gave me a deep, deep appreciation for artwork in spaces, I would not say it helped that much with the actual application of interior design. That being said, I know you could capitalize on your administrative skills because if you want to be an interior designer, that's one thing. I can definitely teach you interior design. But having a love for business is a total other thing. Having a love for those details, for invoicing, being passionate about spreadsheets and building a business, that is a completely different skill set that I am glad that you already have. I'm actually wondering how much of that I should teach. The exciting thing about me as a designer, even though I have no formal background, is that I have a deep curiosity for business. I always loved working in offices. I always loved filling out forms and answering the phones. And I have found that those office skills in combination with interior design skills are really what have made me so successful. So I'd be happy to teach some admin skills, even though it sounds like you don't need them. All right, here's what you wanted to know about. You wanted to know all about the Things that I cover in my course and my book, but in more detail. You wanted to know more about color and floor plans, what to include, what to leave out. So don't worry. I will take a deep dive into everything that I discuss in my courses and my book, but I will say that those things that I've discussed there, it pretty much is a deep dive. The thing that I haven't discussed, the thing that I've been leaving out of my courses because it starts to get complicated, it starts to be TMI unless you really have a passion for design, are floor plans. I have a lot of feelings and thoughts and strong opinions on how to create a good floor plan. I know 
the perfect software that makes it very easy, very approachable, where you don't have to be a technology guru. Additionally, I think creating the perfect floor plan is one of the most important things in your interior design journey. It's where we always start. And it's also the hardest thing to teach my designers, even the ones who have been to school, the spatial relationships, why things go where. So I have turned it into a game, which you may have heard me reference here on the podcast before, the floor plan game. But it truly distills it down because when I would walk into client spaces back when I started this business in 2005, I needed a tool where I could find the perfect floor plan every single time. I needed to have some system that I could rely on to get the right answer because I didn't have the education to back me up. But now, now that I've been a designer, now that I've watched other designers work, I realize that even in design school, you don't necessarily get the education to find that right answer every single time. So I'll share with you during the certification course the exact way to play my floor plan game. So you also want to know the process of designing a room step-by-step, styling in-depth, materials and fabrics, styles and sources of where to shop. So yes, I will be covering those things as well. I, again, have very strong feelings as to sources and my source list. I know where I like to get in certain things and where I would never buy certain things. And I feel I've definitely shared that over the course of my podcast. The one tricky thing about that is it's always changing. Places who used to do something really well have started skimping and not doing those things as well. You know, West Elm had for a hot minute in other words, six months, this very high-end line where they would have like a lamp for $1,000 right next to their lamp for $60. I think they got the message with a quickness on that one and scaled back. But they have since raised some of their furniture price points and don't always offer as deep a discount as they used to. So it's funny how my feelings about stores are constantly evolving. So I'm going to have to find a way to share that evolution with you during the course of the class or that certification process because I shop constantly. So I'm always on the pulse of exactly what's out there and my feelings and my favorite items tend to shift over time. You also wanted to know about business topics, clients, what kinds of conversations you should have, what kinds of legal things that you need to do to get started, what kind of liabilities should you have in place, and what should a client contract include. These things I will definitely touch upon. You might want to have a different business than I do. In which case, you might need different things than I do. Before I start my certification, I was thinking that I would have my other designers on the podcast with me to talk about who this certification process would be right for. Because if you want to do custom things, if you want to manage renovations on a day-to-day basis, there are going to be things that are outside this class that you'll need to know. Then you go on to say, what types of things should I have on my website? What can I under-promise and over-deliver? How do you do it? How do you attract dream clients? And how do you choose your packages and offerings? Uh, And the one thing I'll say about that, just to give you some tips right now, is the key is to find out what you can do really well, to find out what you can scale, basically, because 
you're in this as a business. It's fun. It's a hobby. That's certainly how I started. But when I was looking at this as a hobby business rather than a money-making business, I did not make very much money. And when I shifted that focus and said, hey, this is my legit job. I'm going to cut off any other sorts of revenue and focus on this as my sole income, it made a huge difference. And I tell people to work backwards. So think about how much you need to make per year. Then divide that by the number of clients you think you can get and turn that into a package that offers tremendous value. Then share that package in a way that is completely transparent because my biggest pet peeve with the interior design industry in general is that people don't know exactly how much they're going to pay for what they're going to get. And I think that that is a problem in any industry, but it has been a longstanding problem in the interior design industry. And I think it's still a problem with my competitors on the market today. So the more transparent you can be, the more upfront with your clients you can be in terms of this is what you're going to get right down to the exact number of items, the exact number of pillows at this exact number for cost. I think it really builds trust and it may not be the most lucrative way to do business, I will tell you, but for us, it has been a very easy way to not only sell our packages, but to also gain a very loyal client following who trusts us because we're completely transparent. Well, Rochelle, I totally appreciate you sending in these topics. I promise that I'm going to cover about 80% of them in my course thanks to you sending them in. And guys, if you're thinking about taking the certification course, if there's things that you want me to cover, even if they're just a podcast topic, uh, if you want me to spend an entire episode covering something or taking a deeper dive somewhere, please write me at Betsy at AffordableInteriorDesign.com. First and foremost, this is your podcast. I do this because I want to address what you're thinking about. And I'm launching this certification course because so many people, including someone today on the phone, asked me, how do I get started? I really don't have time or the money to go to a full-time class. What can I do to get started in design? And guys, it doesn't have to be that complicated. It truly can be something that you can do in your off time. But there are things to learn. And um And so let me know if this certification is of interest to you, Betsy at AffordableInteriorDesign.com. Share the topics and questions you have, uh, even if it's just a question for the old mailbag, because I love reaching in each and every week. And I will catch you next week. Bye. You've asked for it, and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, You're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S.
links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out. Follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.